First things first is what we've got last. That's right. It's the second last of us. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week, I talk about The Last of Us Part 2, a sad game about revenge and zombies. It's not out yet. Kirk and Jason haven't played it, so I brought on a guest who had played it to talk about it. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hello. Welcome. Welcome to Triple Click. Yay. We're back again. (laughs) Welcome, Maddie and Jason. It's nice to see you. you both. Likewise. Here we are. Time to do another show. So... Up front, first of all, of course, if you would like to support us making this show, you can find out more about how to do that at MaximumFun.org slash join. And we hope you check that out. Thanks so much to everybody who's become a member to support Triple Click because that makes it possible for us to make this show. Yes. And also, you can write us. People write us emails all the time. You can write us at TripleClick at MaximumFun.org. And last full episode, I hope you all liked that bonus episode that we did. It yeah. was kind of a complete episode. It's almost funny calling it a bonus episode, but it's fun. Yeah, it was a surprise. So yes, it's a bonus. it was a surprise, surprise, an extra. Yes, a bonus in that way. Hope you were all surprised. An emotional bonus. <laughs> <laughs> it was an emotional bonus. Um, but our last full episode, we ended. We talked a little bit about being stir crazy and isolation, and we asked for listeners' feelings about sort of being in quarantine this whole time and how some places are relaxing their requirements. And we got a very good email that uh, I wanted to read from a listener who asked to be anonymous, but she is a physician. And she wrote in with some thoughts on that. So she wrote, last week you asked how listeners felt about relaxing the quarantine constraints. I am a physician in the U.S. and I have seen the devastating effects of this virus. Remember, nothing has changed since the start of the quarantine. There is no cure, no vaccine, no 100% effective way of limiting transmission other than isolation. In fact, it seems every day the medical community is learning something new about this virus and the damage it can cause. Yes, the numbers have gone down in some parts of the country because we have been isolating. But once we lose that focus, once we start asking, is it worth the risk and leaving it up to individuals to decide the fates of our grandparents, parents, brothers, sisters, and infants, we have already lost the fight. If we start to let our guard down now, all of that hard work of isolation will have been for nothing, and we will be looking at an even longer and thus more devastating pandemic. I know it is emotionally and physically exhausting to limit contact with others, and many people are dealing with other extreme stressors at this time, but if we can continue to stay strong in isolation, we can keep this virus at bay. Stay safe, spread love, and play more games. All the best, Anonymous. P.S. Thank you so much to Maddie for bringing a female perspective on video games for ladies like me who love them. Nice. (laughs) Seemed worth sharing only because we were talking a little bit about going stir crazy, even though, to be clear, in the context of saying, like, maybe after really carefully quarantining, going with one other group of people to a quarantine (laughs) place, and in no way were any of us suggesting, sure, go out to a a concert hall or something, because we really can't, even though... It sucks and is exhausting. So. It is important to just keep playing video games, though. That's very That's good advice thing. from her. Yes. <laughs> just keep it up, keep, everybody. Yes. But yeah, I mean, I was I was thinking about this and talking about this the other day about how like we were still learning things, and and the physician makes a yeah. good point about how we're still learning things. Um, it seems like being outside like won't infect people as much as being inside. So uh, there is some research on that, although it's mm-hmm. all still developing, but there's some research about how open air gatherings. That's something we didn't know right? even yeah. like a month ago. So it's just good to mm-hmm. know that we're like still learning things constantly. And if you're making your own plans, I think like, and you decide like, you know what, I want to go hang out with these people, socially distance. It seems like outside is, is less of a risk than like going to church or a concert or whatever. 
Or a very small enclosed space of any kind. Yeah. Or, you know, like a huge, super crowded political rally, just yeah. as a for instance. Just, yeah. But anyways, video games. Let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about video games. Okay, fine. Oh, okay. So, um, <laughs> so this episode is a little special because there's a really big video game coming out, and it's called The Last of Us Part Two. and yet only one triple-click host has played that game. And that, Who is it? That, that, <laughs> that host me. is... It's me. It's Maddie Myers. So for this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. Jason and I are definitely going to play this game, yes. though we have not played it yet. It's going to be a beans cast, in, in mm-hmm. fact. Oh, well, Eventually, yes, yes. Down the road. But I'm sure before that, you and I will also have yeah. many opinions about this yeah, game. Yeah, we'll talk about it next week and such. Yes. Mm-hmm. So for now, though, Maddie, you're going to you're gonna be talking with someone a little bit different. Is that right? That's right. I'm going to bring Waypoint Senior Editor Rob Zachney onto the show to to do a little spoiler-free, still-under-the-embargo discussion of The Last of Us Part Two because he reviewed it for Waypoint, and I thought it would be nice to talk to somebody who actually played the game, unlike you two lazy bones. Unlike us scrubs. <laughs> so, yeah, Kirk and I will uh, disappear for a little while, and we'll be back later for one more thing. We're going to go get a socially distanced drink in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone, your resident editor Kirk here. I am currently editing the show and just finished editing the conversation that Maddie and Rob Zachney have about The Last of Us 2. It's a very interesting conversation about both of their takes on the game, and I wanted to issue a sort of like specific spoiler warning because I haven't played the game, and I think I kind of have a sense of what people may or may not want to hear. So basically, a ton of this game is under embargo. Maddie and Rob don't get into too many particulars, but they do talk about their big picture thoughts, and some of those thoughts do involve like sort of broad feelings involving the ending. So I just wanted to put a note up front that they do talk about sort of what they made of the ending and whether they found it satisfying or not, which you could probably extrapolate things from if you wanted to, though there are no specifics. They also mention the specifics on like a couple of sort of story beats. Again, nothing major. I don't think anything that wasn't in either of their reviews, but I just wanted to mention that some beans are on the floor, though not very many. It's a great conversation if you want to come back and listen to it after you've played the game. For now, you can skip ahead to one more thing, which is at 40 minutes and listen to that. Okay, that's enough for me, here's Maddie and Rob. So The Last of Us came out in 2013, and The Last of Us Part 2 comes out tomorrow. I played it, I reviewed it for Polygon, and I just wanted to talk to somebody else who had also played the game, so I've brought Rob Zachney onto the show. He's a senior editor at Waypoint, and he also reviewed this video game. Hello, Rob. Welcome to my podcast. I am so glad to be able to finally talk about this game with someone who's been on the entire journey. Yeah, I know. The entire 20 to 30 hour journey of this game. But Rob, we can't talk about most of this video game because... There's an embargo in place still. So Yeah, we had a very funny moment on the Waypoint Radio we were recording. Basically, like, I had skimmed the embargo agreement when we got it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, no big spoilers. Figuring yeah. that was going to be the usual thing. And yeah. then Patrick starts reading it. And he's like, can we actually talk about very much here? And at that point, I was pretty far along in my review. And so I had, like, it was like learning that you were just doing the wrong assignment at oh, 11 God, at yeah. night. Yeah. And so I had to be like, oh, shit, I've just got to scrap everything and rewrite this thing uh, before three in the morning. Okay, that is the most stressful story I've ever heard. Perhaps even more stressful than the plot of The Last of Us Part Two. I don't know. Who's to say? I, I can't reveal what the plot of it is. But I we could have a whole half hour just talking about the nature of spoiler culture and like what Naughty Dog has and hasn't 
decided counts as a spoiler for this game. I respectfully disagree with them on some of their decisions about what they consider to be a spoiler for this game, which is basically any information about the plot at all they consider to be a spoiler, including the premise. Yeah, I think I think you can't put a spoiler tag on your premise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the premise of the game. So I guess I'll say people do know that the game is about Ellie going on a revenge revenge quest. You play as Ellie, who is also in the first The Last of Us game, but you only play as her for a hot second in this one chapter. And in this game, you're put in her shoes. And that is about all we can say, but we're going to try to say more than that, because otherwise, what are we even doing here? So let's go back to 2013. Rob, Drawer 2013, what did you think of The Last of Us, the first game, and how it fit into games at that time period? So I actually loved The Last of Us. Um, Right on. Like, I was very much on the other side of when the backlash came for The Last of Us, I was still sort of. For every game. Yeah, I was sort of staring at my (laughs) shoes, being like, well, I I rather liked it. Um, (laughs) You know, man, that's a perfectly fine way to feel. A lot of people still feel that way about that game, and it has some great aspects to it. Yeah, but I do think think a big part of one of the things that caused people to turn on The Last of Us was. And I, I talked a little bit about this, but I think Joel was very easy to turn into your archetypal, like, toxic male protagonist. Mm-hmm. And a lot of how that game was interpreted later was very much about this reading as almost like the villain origin story. Yeah. And to me, I felt it was a little bit murkier. I didn't totally, like, buy that that was actually the text of the game. Like, I took a more generous interpretation of Joel's actions during the end of that game. How much can we get into the end of that game? Yeah, so just a note for listeners, I I think we have to spoil The Last of Us, the first game, because so much of The Last of Us Part Two is about that decision that Joel makes at the very end of the first The Last of Us. So if you are a listener who's currently playing that first game and has somehow managed to avoid that spoiler this whole time, first of all, props, you must have some incredible filters on your browser. And second of all, you should probably pause this podcast and just not listen to this whole section. But yeah, I do think it's, you're right, Rob, that the way that people interpret Joel's actions at the very end of that game, which I'll just briefly summarize it. So he's transporting this teen girl, Ellie, for the entire game. He's crotchety at first. He doesn't want to transport this teenager. He has his own grief about his daughter dying at the very beginning of the game. And eventually he sees Ellie as a surrogate daughter, kind of. And he gets to this hospital Because it turns out that Ellie is the only person that we know of who's immune to the zombie virus. There's a zombie apocalypse in this game. And this hospital has these sort of members of this activist group that are developing a cure. Some of them are medical professionals. And they they need, as it turns out, to kill Ellie in order to develop this cure, which is... A pretty flat moral choice, but I'm not I'm not here to talk about The Last of Us. <laughs> I'm here to talk about The Last of Us Part Two. But Joel is faced with this very flat, almost soap opera-esque choice wherein Ellie must die so that the world may live, but he can't bear to let them go through with it. So he takes Ellie away from the hospital and has to kill some medical professionals in the process, which also means he dooms the world. As far as he knows, I mean, we don't we don't know if there's some other way that a vaccine could be developed, but as far as we know, the world is now doomed. Yeah, 
And I think I got a little bit hung up on the notion that even within the world of that fiction, I could totally buy that it was as flat as maybe they were trying to make it seem at the end, right? Like, so much of that game was also about laying out this history that there have been a lot of false dawns in this zombie apocalypse, right? There's a lot of people who've been convinced that, like, oh, just on the other side of this next sacrifice, on the other side of this next awful thing we're going to do, that's mm-hmm. when we're going to get... That's where we're going to get a handle on this thing. Like, the opening yeah. of the game is his daughter being brutally murdered by a soldier who's just trying mm-hmm. to enforce, like, quarantine restrictions. Right. And to me, I think that, like, the game hinges on that. It's not just Joel's yes. trauma. It's also about what kills his daughter isn't just a soldier following orders. It's also this notion that there's this greater good that has to be served. And if that means you got to kill a kid, you kill a kid. And 20 years later, he sees that choice magnified and Mm -hmm. doesn't let it go down. He might be wrong, but I was a little more sympathetic to the logic of it just because so much of the game had hit that theme. Right. And it helps that The Last of Us, the first game, is so much about that structural violence and like the failure of the American government to properly address this crisis and the fact that this activist group has to pop up in order to try to deal with it and that that's the group of people that everyone's looking towards. These are the kinds of themes that made The Last of Us interesting. It wasn't my favorite game. I certainly had some issues with Joel as a character, but I also thought that those themes were really compelling. And that's part of why I was so pumped about The Last of Us Part Two because I was like, awesome. Like, we are going to get to go into Ellie's perspective. And, like, she's probably going to find out what Joel did. I don't know how she's going to feel about it. That'll be an interesting moral quandary for her to be navigating. She's probably going to continue to have to deal with various traumas and, like, living in this world. But is she going to still want to save it in some way? Is that option still going to be available in some form? And really just what is the zombie apocalypse going to look like a few years later when Ellie's a little bit older? She's 19 in this game, so theoretically she can make her own medical choices. These are the kinds of themes I was expecting to be in this game. None of them are there. Am I wrong? Would would we say any of those themes are in the game? It I... is so funny. From the end of The Last of Us, it ends on a reaction shot, basically. It ends on yes. Ellie weighing how much she really believes Joel. And so you yeah. think, okay, we're going to pick up the action from there. Like, how does that deception resonate through the relationship? And that is mm-hmm. a through line in the game. Oh, but yes. Yeah, to your point, that's not what the game is about. Oh, Ellie's immune? Don't give a shit. Uh, like that's not what any of that's yeah. not, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean that this is the thing that I keep trying to explain to people. So like in my review, I kept talking about this, the presentation of violence in this game and the fact that this game does a lot of emotional manipulation to make you feel bad about the violence that you're doling out on people. And we can talk about that in a bit, but what's really striking to me about it is that it's, it's almost never structuralized or institutional violence. It's interpersonal violence. It's like individual grudges, like, Oh, you did something to me or some member of my family. And so therefore I'm going to hunt you down. That's the theme of the game as opposed to what I always considered the far more interesting structural violence themes of the first The Last of Us, which were like, the government has failed us. Human beings need to find ways to come together. We disagree about how to do it and what extremes we're willing to go to. But The Last Part 2, I mean, I, it just doesn't seem like it's comfortable navigating that as much. Yeah, it is a game of endless grudges. Yeah. And 
I think one of its real failings. I, I think I think grudges are a great theme. I think revenge oh, yeah. turning to ash in your mouth. I think that is a fantastic theme. I think you can tell a great story about that. Mm-hmm. But the the farther you push it, the more the arc of it becomes about: Are we not now compounding tragedy through our own yeah. actions? Are we not taking a bad situation? And we're not like we're past the point where we can get even. And Mm -hmm. we're now just digging the hole deeper. We're making the world a worse place. And if the story's going in that direction, it helps to discuss that. It helps to have somebody examine it. Yes. To have a conversation where the characters acknowledge what you just said. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Even even if the character is like compelled, like some sort of tragic hero, you know, the Wrath of Achilles type shit. Yes. You still need someone to like highlight it. I was, when I was working on my review, uh, it ended up not making the cut because who needs reflections on Moby Dick uh, in the middle of a Last of Us <laughs> I welcome part two. them. This is the place. <laughs> but like, even Ahab at the end, when the question is put to him, like, yeah. why the fuck are we still doing this? Starbucks basically, like, m- several yes. times, like, three, like, tries to get the quest called off. Uh, yep. Ahab gives the speech where he basically concedes that he no longer even views it as a personal motivation. It is just now he is... Like almost the hand of fate is working through him. He can't unchoose this mm-hmm. quest for revenge. And it is it, it highlights how lost he is and how completely imprisoned by this character are the people aboard his ship, the people in his orbit. And at least at that moment we do acknowledge, the story acknowledges Ahab has lost his reason. Uh, the, this this revenge has transcended the personal and has taken on the megalomaniacal and other characters yeah. can see that. Uh, the Last of Us, I think, almost hits a similar pitch where you're looking at this as an audience member and you're like, this is fucked up, right? Like, this is, like, what, like, what <laughs> yeah. are you doing? And I think the game encourages you at various points to do that and, like, have that moment where you, the, the player, are, like, sort of, taken aback at your TV and you're like, sorry, what am I supposed to do now? Which is like, that's step one. But then step two just doesn't quite happen satisfactorily for me. Instead, everyone's just like, let me rack in another round and let's go to the next level. And I'm like, "Mm, maybe we should chat first. Yeah. And it's weird too, because there are so many great chatting scenes in this game. There's so many scenes in the game where the characters are just hanging out, shooting the shit or like exploring some abandoned houses together and talking about their feelings. But they don't ever talk about the revenge quest that each of them are on. It's like as though everyone takes it as a given almost. And that just slowly (laughs) drove me up a wall as I was playing it because I kept waiting for that scene. And also, I feel like I've played games that like hit these beats where it's like, okay, okay, I see the character making mistakes. She's gonna have some regrets later. I know that scene is coming. And there kept being moments where I was like, all right, give me the crying in the shower scene. Give me the scene where the character realizes it's all gone wrong for them. But like, rarely are anyone's emotions stated explicitly. And so therefore, you can interpret their behavior however you wish, which I think is also why some people are able to relate to Joel's choice and like, infuse it with so much meaning. Whereas other people were like, no, it doesn't make any sense because I didn't like Joel as a character. It's like, you get out what you put in the video game. But 
And that's okay. Like, I I do see the reading of a game as a whole where it does speak to someone, where you you put in a lot, you put in your own meaning into some of these interactions, and you get out what you've put into the game. And there's something to be said for being vague as well. But it's also just undeniably true that this game performs so much emotional manipulation on you, and it feels so transparent to me that... I just wanted it to be worth it. There is a point where you start going and revisiting locations you've seen at a different place in time. And you are made to greet and encounter every dog you murdered in a previous sequence. It's it's meant to be affecting, but like the third time they go to that well, I just start cracking up. It's not like this is it's funny. Like that is the real issue with it is that I did start finding it funny, which is absolutely not. Oh, hey, Roscoe, what are you doing here? Not what I was not the reaction I was supposed to have, because like the emotional manipulation in the game became so absurd to me that I started being like, what is happening? Like, like just losing it. So the reason why I talked about the dog scene in my review, which I think is like kind of tiptoeing right up next to the embargo by talking about the fact that you go back and meet the dogs that you're forced to kill. Um, but it's because I can't talk about any of the character deaths in this game, obviously. So I can only talk about the dogs. I'm not saying like dog lives are the only lives that matter or something. But, but for the record... But for the record, you also do this with the human characters in the game as well. Like, any character that you've tortured or maimed or wronged in some way, you will get a scene out of order later where you are made to feel horrible about the fact that you did it, which, again, I did not need because I felt horrible the first time around. Like, I did not need to, like, read somebody's personal diary later in order to find out they were a human being with emotions, wants, goals, and needs, you know? I think maybe this is... This is why I, one of the reasons I ended up having such a low opinion of this game, because it does pass this off as insight. Like, wow, I really, yes. you know, that, wow. that, that person, that being you killed, uh, wasn't just your enemy. They had a life of their own before, mm-hmm. before you murdered them. And of course they did. Like, that's yeah. not news. That's not, like, th- like <laughs> The Last of Us was similar. Like, it, this isn't Uncharted, where, like, it's just legions of henchmen. Like, it is a world full of people trying in their various ways to get by. And yet, mm-hmm. this game, like, keeps pulling off this, this trick where yes. it says, aha, but you see this person <laughs> wasn't just your enemy. Yeah. Aren't, and, and, and then it sort of does the, like, ta-da thing. <laughs> and yeah. you're sitting there being like... Where was the trick? Where's the magic? Like, what's your yeah. point? Yeah, and that is the point. And so you wait yes. for the you wait for the actual point to show up, and then by the end of the game, you realize that was it. Oh no, that was it. Yeah, the the entire reveal was that repeatedly you will be asked to kill someone or a dog or what have you, and then later you'll learn more about them. And like that's just the reveal that keeps happening over and over in the game. I wondered also if it would have worked if it were 10 hours long or like maybe if it just showed some more restraint, because I, th- I think there is something to this idea of like, let's humanize the enemies that you kill. Like let's get to know your enemies better. Like as you go along in a game, like there's some seeds there that I think spoke to a lot of people and it's certainly affecting. Like the characters are very well drawn, like not just well animated, but well written, well acted, 
they you really feel for them when they die, or at least I did, which is part of why I had to dissociate from the game and start finding it funny after a while, because I was like, I can't watch myself have to kill yet another adorable human. Like, I just, I can't keep going like this game, so I'm going to have to separate myself psychologically from what I'm being asked to do here. But it, there is the seed there that I think works and there's a version of the game that just shows a bit more restraint or plays off the end differently or does something else with the discovery of that i'm not sure what that looks like yeah i I definitely came away feeling like um if the game had just been shorter apologies there's motorcycles uh revving (laughs) in the street uh yeah i definitely came away feeling like part of the issue here is the game is interminable And it's interminable in part because it's deeply unpleasant and intentionally trying to be. And so even sequences that might otherwise, like, be cool in a video gamey way still feel like this absolute death march. Mm -hmm. Um, Intentionally, I would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it it turns into a 30-hour experience uh, when I, I think to do some of the tricks it has you you don't need to quite you don't need to spend quite so much time follow, like just going through the rote procedures of and then stealth ninja your way around this base and kill these people like you probably can cut some of that stuff out and get to those character beats and the, those big set pieces uh, so I, I think definitely part of it is just the sheer length of the game I think this is an issue where the requirements to give bang for your buck as a gamer yeah. definitely cut against the the story it's telling. You didn't like all the collectibles, Rob? You didn't like <laughs> collecting all the collectibles and like leveling up and I did like leveling just up. Just unlocking cool. I mean, that's the other part of it is that like it's still an exceedingly proficient technically game. Like it looks great. And it plays great. I, I think I enjoyed the combat a bit more than you did, but like the edges have definitely been sanded off the combat in the first The Last of Us, which I found somewhat frustrating. And this one I found a lot more um, pleasant is the wrong word, but like I felt more capable when I was taking on zombies and stealthing around with regular Joe Schmo humans who I had to kill and feel bad about killing later on. Um, I certainly felt capable while I was doing that. And that, I guess, is also part of the vibe of this game is that, hey, you feel so capable. You're such a capable killer, but also you're a terrible person and you shouldn't be feeling so gosh darn capable of murder, right? What if the movie X versus Sever were really sad? Uh, yeah, I guess. Like, it is. Let me ask you a question. Uh, sure. How into the Uncharted series have you been? Oh, I've not played any of them. Okay. I. I had an ex who played some of them while I watched. That's as far as I've gone with Uncharted as a as a series. Okay. So I am familiar with the the whole Nathan Drake is a homicidal maniac who's very charming and we all just act like he's not doing the things he's doing. I do know the trope. Right, which which yeah, I definitely think that trope is a problem because I think Nathan Drake actually <laughs> is just an action hero and then when you try to I think where things begin to go wrong, it's definitely in trying to really interrogate what the yeah. swashbuckling action it's it's like you don't need Indiana Jones to reflect on like my god I killed eight German kids on the on a tank with one bullet like I don't actually yeah. need to see him like you know sitting up at night being like my all those boys, uh, but like for me I I think a difference I had uh, with the Last of Us Part Two is for me it feels 
of, of such a piece, not just with The Last of Us 1, but just with stuff I've done through four Uncharted games at this point. And so while I agree that in a lot of places the combat is pretty proficient, uh, there's a lot of systems you can take advantage of, None of it felt particularly revelatory to me uh, because yeah. the similarities between what The Last of Us Part Two does and what I've done a million times in other Naughty Dog games, there, there's too many. And so the, the impact was, was really lessened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that... I guess that's just a, a nice thing that they're reusing something. I, I mean, we haven't touched on the, the crunch in making this game, but the, it's almost heartening to me to learn that the developers like may have used or borrowed from a, a pre-existing system from another game series to like help flatten out the creation of this game. And I don't just bring up crunch as an afterthought. It was something that was also on my mind the entire time I played, especially given the length of this game and the lack of restraint that it shows with some of the violence that it depicts. I know how difficult it is for people to animate exceedingly violent scenes and so I was thinking about that a lot the people making this game and just being like was it worth it for them like do I feel like this was worth it and is that even possible for something like this to be worth it but hey if they were able to cut some corners in combat design that's almost good question mark yeah my guess is they didn't though right my guess is it's similar systems design, but like everything reworked uh, to yeah. make it a little bit better. And it is a little bit better, but also mm-hmm. at the same time, like in terms of stealth games, in terms of enemy behavior, like yeah, here's what didn't exist in 2013, Hitman. Like there's so yes. many games where you can sort of cite like, oh, the, like there's really involved murder sandboxes you can create. And it's it's oh, been yeah. an apples and oranges comparison. But I, think I mean, it, it is and it isn't. Yeah. I mean, it's like, what if the game is not going above and beyond when it comes to like cool collectibles or like stealth mechanics or whatever, then the story is really the thing. And I think that's what this game wants to be. It yeah. wants the story to be the thing, which is part of why... I was so hard on the story in my review was because I was like, this is a game that very much wants to be saying something about humans and why they enact violence and revenge and what motivates them. And those motivations need to be believable. And the conversations that they have about their decisions need to ring true. And by the end of the game, it just didn't feel that way to me. But I wanted to touch on something else Uh, before we wrap up, which is just, again, the decision to sort of shy away from depicting some more structural forms of violence in this game. Like, this is a game that depicts a cult that has some bigoted viewpoints. I'll, I'll be pretty vague about how that's shown, but like they are shown to be transphobic, homophobic, sort of classic Christian right extremist cult. And like, there's some enemies that you see along the way in the game. But For a game that's, like, so interested in humanizing its enemies, it's almost like the designers knew that it wouldn't quite work if they tried to get us to sympathize with, like, a horrific bigot. So, like, there's just a few corners that they're just sort of stepping around there and just being like, well, that's not really a story we're interested in telling or even looking too hard at. And honestly, like, for a game with a queer female lead... I just felt like that was kind of cowardly. I was like, you can't include something like this in your game and then not look directly at it. Like, don't just like sprinkle a little bit of queer phobia onto your video game for color and then like 
just be like, yeah, but this game isn't really about that. It's really about this one person Ellie's decided she needs to kill who has nothing to do with that. And she just needs to kill them. And that's her journey. And it's not about the world or like the power structures that have emerged among these various human factions, which are like warring with one another for a variety of socio-political reasons. That's just background stuff. Really, it's about Ellie hating this one person. And like, you can do that, man. You can make a game about that. But like, it just felt like a missed opportunity to me, especially given who the game's about, you know? I will also say here that I was a little bit uncomfortable with uh, two of your, like, there's not many non-white main characters in this story. I was a yep. little bit uncomfortable with the fact that the uh, sort of Luddite cultist faction that occupied, like, uh, wood, wood huts and use, uh, like, yes. like, primitive uh, weapons. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the fact that the, the characters you interact with uh, from that faction that become, like, named characters uh, are Asian characters, and the entire mm-hmm. thing begins to to play out a bit like a Vietnam movie in some ways yep. where like it did feel deployed in a weird way. It did feel de- it did feel odd. I think what was really strange about it was that it felt like colorblind casting a lot of times in this game. Like a lot of times people of color would just be a character but that part of their identity wouldn't necessarily be shown other than like there's a Latinx character who just like speaks with a thick accent. Like there's, it's part of their character in that way, but it's like not a part of their identity, if that makes any sense. And I felt like in some ways queerness was similar in other ways it wasn't. I can't really talk about any of the queer related plot beats because most of them are in the second half of the game. But just overall, it seemed like a game that wanted to do a whole lot of different things and in fact, did try to do a whole lot of different things, but they just didn't quite all hang together. And if you tried to like draw a common theme or lesson, I think mostly that lesson would be violence is very bad. And that's that's okay, but I, it's so flat to me, especially in a world where like people are out here defending their lives in a very literal sense in the streets. Like, and you're going to tell me well, violence is actually not the answer to all of your problems and you should like empathize more with your enemies. Like, okay, sure. But then you're also not going to come along with me on like the people who don't see you as human and like what are we supposed to do about those people exactly? This game doesn't have an answer to that even though it actually asks that question. So, I don't know. I expected more. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I think violence isn't the answer doesn't really work in a world where clearly sometimes maybe it has to be. Yeah. Right? Like, there are bad fucking people in this and world. And there are zombies. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. There's some situations where we can all agree you just gotta kill a person. Yeah, and, and so I think whenever, when you begin to turn toward this, like, ah, the cycle of violence just perpetuates. And yes. it's like, well, for some of these characters, they don't have the choice to yes. break bread and uh, let the past be the past. Like, some characters will never be left alone. Not because there's a yes. grudge, but because there are worldview issues uh, between them mm-hmm. that are going yes. to like put them at risk unless they put these people over here in the ground and i think if you flatten that into a you know violence is bad and even if you have to do violence to defend yourself it's still it's still pretty bad you still bear the mark of cain and i'm like <laughs> i don't know yeah i mean i i guess the problem though is that you could argue the game isn't truly saying that because what is it saying you could you could say Violence is good when you need to do it, but it's bad when you 
don't, and it's on you to figure that out, kid. Can I ask you one question? I don't know. Sure. If the game had ended differently, would your feelings have changed? I think they would have changed somewhat. There were there were a few scenes I really wanted to happen that I didn't get, and I've sort of hinted at some of them. And I also don't even need the game to have some big didactic message about like violence being bad. I truly don't need that. If it's just a good story about some regular people, that's cool too. I just felt like this one didn't quite work as that either because it's pretty uneven and just didn't didn't really feel like it worked in that level. Um, but yeah, I, I think if it had ended differently or maybe if just the second half of the game had been somewhat different, then I'd feel differently. For the first 10 hours, I definitely was like, I think we're going somewhere. And uh, we were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think where my views kind of hardened were like in the literal like finale of the last yes. act. When yep. I realized there was not going to be one more twist there wasn't gonna be one more development there were chances for this story to try and say something and maybe it would have been strained but i was still expecting like some sort of reckoning with what had transpired across the last 30 hours yeah (laughs) and once again the game kind of took a pass on that and plunged me back. And left it up to you to interpret, Rob. It's all on you to interpret. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so once I was plunged back into this, like, uh, ghastly, like, orgy of violence, uh, like, to mm-hmm. no real purpose, like, we were now just repeating beats, I was like, okay, I think now I'm, a- I'm actually officially annoyed. Like, this is, yeah. like, now, retroactively, that journey I thought I was on has become a great big circle. Yes, yes. Would you recommend this game, Rob? <laughs> this is me attempting to yeah. wrap up this conversation, but... Oh, yeah. I mean, fans of the genre will love it. What genre is that exactly? <laughs> <laughs> Games that do whatever this is? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it. Here's the problem. Even I, as a person who loved the, the Last of Us, though, mm. you don't think it would maybe provide somebody some closure to play this game? I think it might. Like, if you really love The Last of Us, I think this will be a lot more of the same. But also, I think the thing that's missing are a lot of the things that made The Last of Us work, for me at least. So I think, like, what made you love The Last of Us? My guess is it is not in this game, even if large parts of it will feel, like, comfortably familiar. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I I think that too, and yet clearly we are both wrong because there are many people, many critics at least, who got something out of this game. So who's to say? I, I certainly think that the vagueness and just the evocative nature of a lot of the plot beats and reveals, if we can call them that in the game, does allow you to put a lot of how you feel onto the characters, which is... You know, it's clever in a way. It's it's part of what makes the game work for more people is the fact that it leaves a lot up to you. I think that's cowardly, but not everybody agrees with me and that's completely fine. And hey, killing the zombies feels really good, man. So if, if you want to do that, that shit's still in there. Bunch of cool collectibles. Well, I guess I'm going to cool close on that. <laughs> They're not that cool. I don't know. Ellie has a journal. I thought the journal entries were cute. Journals are great. Like, every yeah. game should have a journal. It's... I actually think that that's cool. And the guitar minigame, there's a guitar playing minigame. It's great. That guitar. We didn't talk about that in our reviews, but the guitar. The guitar scenes all roll. It's going to be great. It's honestly, it's worth getting the game just so that you can play the guitar playing minigame and record yourself playing various songs, 
Put that on Twitch. Share those clips, everybody. I'm going to love it. The game's going to be worth it just for that, I think. I was sitting there. I was like, I could learn to play this guitar in this game. You can. Do you it. can play the guitar in the game. Clearly, it's the game of the year. Just, just on the strength of the guitar. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Rob, and for trying along with me not to spoil this game, even while also talking about why it didn't work for us. It was much appreciated. Happy to start getting this out of my system. <laughs> like a poison that we must draw out together. All right, great. Hey, I'm Jared Hill, co-host of the brand new Maximum Fun podcast, Fan Time. And I'm Travel Anderson. I'm the other more fabulous co-host. And the reason you really should be tuning in. I feel the nausea rising. To be Fan is to be a big fan of something, but also have some challenging or anti-feelings toward it. Kind of like Kanye. We're all fans of Kanye. He's a musical genius, but like, you know. He thinks slavery is a choice. Or like the Real Housewives of Atlanta. Like, I love the drama, but do I want to see black women fighting each other on screen? Ew, to the nah, to the nah, nah, nah. We're tackling all of those complex and complicated conversations about the people, places, and things that we love. Even though they may not love us back. Fanti, Maximum Fun, podcast. Ow. Hi, I'm James, host of Minority Corner, which is a podcast that's all about intersectionality. It's hosted by James with a guest host every week. Discussing all sorts of wonderful issues, nerdy and political. Pop culture. Black, queer, feminism. Race, sexuality. News. You're going to learn your history, their self-empowerment, and it's told by what feels like your best friend. Why should someone listen to Minority Corner? Why not? Oh my God, free stuff. There's not free stuff. The listeners of Minority Corner will enjoy some necessary LOLs, but mainly a look at what's happening in our world through a colorful lens. People will get the perspective of marginalized communities. I feel heard. I feel seen. Like you said, you need to understand how to be more proactive in your community and this is a great way to get started. Join us every Friday on Max Fun or wherever you get your podcast. Minority, Minority Corner. Corner. Because, because together, together we're the majority. And we are back with one more thing. Kirk, Jason, you're back with me again. Kirk, Hello. why don't you tell me about your one more thing? Um, sure. So I almost wrote that my one more thing was like that I've been feeling kind of depressed <laughs> since that's <laughs> oh. kind of at the oh, root no. of it. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Is, well, that's okay. I mean, I think we kind of all are like not in a really profound damaging way, but just in a way of like, you know, there's a lot of really awful things in the world that we're dealing with and we're also i've just been we've been isolated for so long i think it it is getting hard even though it's important to stay that way it's Mm -hmm. been tough and i've just been feeling really restless with video games um that's actually weirdly the thing i've been struggling the most with like most of my day is spent practicing music working on strong song stuff and doing admin stuff related to that um taking care of the puppy like there's like practical stuff and then there's there should be this room for video games because it's not like I have that many, like I normally carve out time to do that. It's just been sort of like, I I can't get excited to play too many games. I'm still kind of like playing, mildly playing Animal Crossing, but it's really been tough. So I found, I turn on my PC, I have all these games installed. I'm playing through the Control DLC because we're going to talk about Control and like playing back through that game. But even that game, it's like kind of, intense and I'm just sort yeah. of hard hard getting in the groove. <laughs> Good thing The Last of Us 2 is coming out to really cheer you up. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking No, I know. Well, time. that's the thing. I'm like, of course. Uh, um, well, <laughs> the next game you have to play. <laughs> that is Keep looming going. over all of this, is the being like, 
well, I know I'm, I'm going to play this game. I've been really looking forward to this game. Mm-hmm. We're, I'm going to play it, but oh my God. But you got to recharge first as much yes. as you can. <laughs> yes. So really the main thing I've been playing, well, two, it's two games, which isn't really fair for one more thing. So I'll just say that the main thing I've been playing is, is Fire Emblem uh, Three Houses again. Are you replaying it? I'm on a second playthrough as the Blue Lions, which I started and then just sort of, you know, I'd mm-hmm. played like a hundred hours of that game or something when I beat it. So I played it as Golden Deer the first time. And I just came back to it and like that was my that was my tempo, to use a, a whiplash term. That game is my tempo. It's like mostly a graphic novel. I'm playing on mm-hmm. hard, but it's not that hard. They've added a lot to this game in DLC. There are pets now, I guess, that you mm-hmm. can give as gifts or something to one another. It's it's funny coming back to it now because there's so much new stuff and I didn't buy the season pass. Um, or which gives you, you know, there's like new new characters. There's like a whole new DLC storyline that I guess is pretty good. So I've been um, just sort of cruising through that on autopilot, <laughs> just kind of going around and talking to my faves again, playing New Game Plus, which is like a way lower key way of playing it. And that's really kind of it. And then I just will say, I know this is cheating, but I played a little bit of Breath of the Wild and I played it on the TV. We got a new TV a little while ago and it has the motion smoothing turned on for the Switch, like HDMI input. And that game looks amazing with motion smoothing on. And I don't know... I don't know. If, I, don't I don't think, think I've ever the... heard somebody say they liked motion smoothing yeah, on TV. Wow. This is a radical take. So I hate motion smoothing. I'm like totally the person who goes to like, you know, your grandparents' house. And the first thing I do, and I'm a guest in the <laughs> house, and I'm like, TV I'm sorry. Settings? But we can't watch this movie with this turned on. I need to get into the settings and turn off smoothing. Because it cool. looks terrible on it's TV so shows. It's so weird when people don't notice it, too. I know. Well, and well. this this made me think, I guess... Um, so Zelda looks almost like it's running at 60 frames a second with motion smoothing on to a pretty wild extent. It looks incredible, like especially the um, like special effects when, a, when like a magic spell goes off, like the blue effect. When you crack open one of those um, shrine portals at the end of the shrine, like the, the shrine puzzle, and it goes kind of outward, you know, it looks so good. It looks like it's running at 60 frames per second. And... And the cutscenes look weird, like they're running at 60 FPS. It's really made me think that I think I'll see people say like, oh, I don't even notice 60 frames per second, 30 frames per second. And I wonder if they're playing video games with motion smoothing on, <laughs> which really does kind of effectively simulate it to a surprising degree. I was like, this really looks like a different game. It almost looks like it's running. It doesn't quite. You can tell sometimes. But anyways, I just noticed that. And that game is still really good. <laughs> but I won't take up too much time because that's a cheat. And it's just one more thing. So we can move on from Yeah, that. I was wondering. It turns out it took eight. Eight proper episodes for you to fit two things into your one more thing. <laughs> right. We were how long it was going to take. Well, really, wow. I mean, I talked about control. I talked about the last one. That's a, that was like a sixth thing, one more I thing. I know. What the heck was Four that? Four things. The key Whatever. is to have a th- your one more thing be a thesis That's statement. why I should have just been like video game depression. We can say yeah. that was the one thing, so I didn't really cheat. But anyways, that's enough okay, for me. Okay, okay. Jason, you picked only one thing, right? I did why pick only one more thing. Um, yeah, so I, I haven't been playing a ton of video games other than Trails of Cold Steel 3, which I'll talk about in another time. Um, but instead, I am play, I am reading a really good book that I wanted to talk about. Um, mm. And by the way, to those people who, who wanted to hear about Twitter drama, no, we will not be talking about Twitter drama today. Sorry, no Schindler's List talk today. Um, but so I'm reading this dope book. It's called The Long Ships by Franz G. Bengtsson. And um, this book was written in the 50s. It is about a Viking odyssey. It is, it's a, it's like this, this 
the swashbuckling journey of this Viking um, in Viking times, and it's it's sort of like Homer's Odyssey, except it's Vikings and more modern. Is it um, historical fiction, or is it like based on something? I mean, it's. I don't know if I would even call it historical fiction because I don't know how accurate the history is, but it's 100% right. fictional fictional story, um, and it is quite a saga. So a little bit of backstory here is that I found this. Obviously, there's the Assassin's Creed Valhalla is coming out, and so it's a good time to like read up on your Viking stuff, sort of like how when God of War came out, and I mm-hmm. loved that. I wound up buying uh, Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman and got really into that for a little while. But so um, I found this book because I was listening to a podcast with Michael Lewis, the journalist and author is one of my favorite authors he recommended that and like said he gives this to people all the time um and so i looked it up and i was like well this sounds cool and then i I got it started reading it um and have just been really into it it's like written in this really interesting way where it kind of zooms out and like three years will go by in a paragraph but then it'll spend some time just like Mm, diving into some individual event it's like one of those like almost it reads like you're reading mythology sort of except it's a fictional story and like gets gets you get to know these characters and care about these characters and it's a it's a fantastic story on its own um but b it's making me really hype for the new assassin's creed (laughs) so first question is can you just restate the name and author the title and author of this book yeah it's called the long ships by franz g bengson the long ships is the name of the book. Second question is, is the protagonist actually like a modern day person wearing a computer that lets them travel back? <laughs> no, there's no apples. Yeah, no Because animus. I'm not interested otherwise. Yeah, my, my, okay, does anyone wear a hidden blade <laughs> strapped to their wrist? I don't believe so. Um, oh, but yeah, man. man, it's quite a story. It's like uh, in the first in the first couple hundred pages, this this main character, his name is Orm, um, and you you get to know him um he is like he winds up uh going from england to scandinavia to like the caliphate and the the muslim empire that was uh oh, i don't, wow. I don't so remember exactly the world. Right. it's like maybe arabia ish um yeah winds up becoming a slave for a while for a few years they, he winds up uh freeing himself he winds up on all sorts of ships and all sorts of adventures meeting all sorts this of this is just in the first first part of the book this is, is just this the like, first part of the book it's wow. like it's this incredible sweeping <laughs> story it's like yeah it's like i said it feels like mythology because so much is happening and just like like one paragraph will be like and then Orm spent the next year rowing and slaving away is, this and, a, <clears throat> is it a standalone book or is it like yeah, part of a series totally standalone book this is so this is written that's also kind of nice <laughs> yeah this was written so it was written by the guy is Icelandic I believe and it was written in the 1950s so this is not a oh, new wow. book it is not like oh, a fantasy okay. series this is I mm-hmm. believe it was originally published in 1954 um, yeah and, before and you can tell, like having everything be a franchise yeah, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> you don't need a fantasy book series it's just this right, one right. epic epic novel he wasn't like um, trying to get this option <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no plans um, but yeah I mean if you're interested in Vikings if you want like some some prep for uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla mm, nice, or nice. if you just want like a good mythological story I highly recommend it again it's called The Long Ships by Franz G. Bengston nice Maddie what's your uh, one more okay, thing okay so I got Just Dance 2020 on the Switch this past (laughs) week because Uh Ring Fit Adventure still sold out everywhere that matters. And I, too, am depressed and would like to move around. And I'm really tired of all my exercise videos. 
Did you see that Nintendo just released a jump rope game for free, by the way? I did, I did see, see that, that today. Yeah. That I haven't played sounds it yet. amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wanted to recommend Just Dance 2020 if anybody else out there is also going stir crazy, as we all are, and wants yeah. something new and a little different. I think it's really fun. And I played it with my nice. girlfriend and we both super enjoyed it. I don't know how long I'm going to keep playing it. The base game includes a lot of songs, but it also pushes the unlimited song subscription on you pretty hard. Like there's commercials for it between songs, that level of hard, right, which is a right. little irritating, kind of microtransaction-y. But also I'm probably going to end up getting it anyway. <laughs> so the joke is on me. So yeah, I recommend it. It's a fun game. You can play it with just one joy and also there's an iphone app that lets you play the game with your phone but it's terrible so don't even bother with it and just play with a joy con because it works a lot better those are my tips i recommend the game to anyone and everyone because it's fun so are you playing that like every morning as your workout or something like i mean i just got it like two days ago and I it so far yeah but I, I who knows who knows how how long I'll <laughs> I'm keep just right. curious as to how effective a workout is because like obviously you're dancing to these songs I'm just like it's like pretty how... effective I own a heart rate monitor and I'm mm-hmm. already in pretty good shape and this these songs I mean like they go all the way up to hard and like intense difficulties <laughs> and learning the dance moves is quite difficult so mm-hmm. you can really challenge yourself with just nice. dance if you want to as long as you don't care about looking stupid which you probably <laughs> don't if you're playing this alone yeah if you're by yourself that's the important thing exactly or if you're just playing it in front of your significant other who's also looking stupid at the same time as you isn't going to judge you that's another option or your nine month old baby who stares my 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 child stares at the screen while I'm playing Ring Fit Adventure she's captivated that's the only screen time that we allow her is when I'm working out she can can I bet she would think the visuals of Just Dance are captivating as well they're gorgeous and the choreography is the choreography is quite good, and I am nice. not good at doing it. But you can tell, like some very, very good choreographers were involved in the development of the game. Fun yeah. piece it's of trivia: fun to watch that, that stuff. Just Dance mm-hmm. was the final game on the Wii. I think that 2020 is the one that came out on the Wii. The well, original. Well, it's also Wii. on the Switch. Yeah. So if you and want to play it on a console you still own that isn't <laughs> like in a box in. somewhere, it's so funny. Imagine being like the the programmer uh, or the team at Ubisoft that has to port a game to the Wii and like work on the Wii port and go through certification on the Wii. How crazy is that? I guess Just Dance is probably for the audience that I still bet it owns sells. those old consoles. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, it's a job, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Cool. All right. Well, so I think that's it for this week. We will be yeah. back next week to continue talking about video games. Kirk and I will have played The Last of Us 2, so we will definitely talk about will that have. a little more. I am excited. <laughs> yeah, are you? Is that so the right word? I'm kind of excited. It's so interesting. The discourse has been so exhausting already. But like, I've just been staying off Twitter. <laughs> but it's not even out yet. Yeah, no one, I mean, but no one gets I, well, to be exhausted by the discourse yet. We're only just starting. That's everybody. the most exhausting video game discourse is the pre-release discourse. I'm looking forward to it right. being out for a little while and then we can actually all talk about yeah. it. Yeah, it'll be more interesting. But also, like, yeah. I, I don't know about you guys. Well, Maddie, I know about you because you didn't really love The Last of Us. But Last of Us is one of my favorite games ever. Kirk, I know you liked it a lot too. So I'm, I'm really excited for, for this game for that reason, at the very mm-hmm. least. Yeah, we'll see. I'm very curious to know what you two think about it. Yes, that will be fun to talk about. But uh, until then, yes, I guess I will see both of you in a week. See you guys next time, and thanks again to Rob for coming on the show. Yeah, yeah. bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. 
Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll head over to MaximumFun.org/join and consider becoming a member. Doing so helps support us and gets you access to an exclusive Triple Click episode each month. Find us online at TripleClickPodcast.com, on Twitter at TripleClickPod, and send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.